our journey through this Advent season. It feels like Christmas should be next week, but we have a whole other week as Advent is, the, I think, the longest that it can be this year. Uh, four full weeks of us having the opportunity to prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. And as we continue on this journey, we have our readings speaking to us um, about in the prophecies of Isaiah to prepare the way for the Lord, that there will be peace on earth. And then John the Baptist's poignant question of, are you the Christ or should we look for another? And these readings are, are very important and the church gives them to us, but I'd like to tell a different story today. I'm not saying I'm better than the church, but I think if we understand a more foundational story, kind of get back to basics this Advent, then we will be able to enter into this season in, in a more full way and then be able to unpack these readings and then be able to have an incredibly joyful Christmas because we remember what it means. We remember the, the effects and, and the reasons for us celebrating Christmas. And so the story I'd like to tell is about the good news, the gospel, the kerygma. And so often our homilies are focused on a moral lesson, a moral teaching that we are uh, to draw out, called to draw out from the readings for the day. But we're going to do something a little different. We're just going to tell this story and the story of the gospel. Because I think if we get these fundamentals right, it will change the way we look at this season of Advent and Christmas itself. And so if you allow me, I'd like to begin with a question to tell our story why in the world is there something rather than nothing? Maybe it's been a while since we've thought about this. Now, why is there something in the world rather than nothing? Because there was a time when there was absolutely nothing in the world. There were no stars, no earth, no trees, no people, no galaxies, no nothing. Not even a blank black space. Absolutely nothing except God as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in, in himself, just there, somewhere, wherever there was. But then one day, one day God said, I want to create. And so it happened. It was almost, it, the scriptures tell us in the book of Genesis, it was almost effortless for him. All he did was speak a word, and then time began. The universe started. There was a beginning. Time began. And then the galaxies and the stars and everything began into motion. There, were, there was life. There was space. There was the, the universe. Now, I'm no physicist. Uh, I, I lasted about a half a semester in uh, physics two honors when I was in high school. And I was like, I am not, this is not for me. Uh, I, I went to school and I'm the, the philosophy and the reading and, and all that type of thing. Uh, but definitely not a physicist. But I know some people who are. And they tell me that in our galaxy, there are over 100 billion stars. I can't even fathom a hundred billion anything, let alone a hundred billion stars just in our galaxy. And they continue and they say there are over 100 billion galaxies in our universe. And each of those with a hundred billion stars. I just can't fathom the vastness of, of our, the place where we live in, in our universe. 
And this is the same God that created all of it. And, and God's outside of it all. He, he just effortlessly said, that, let there be stars, let there be light. And it all came to be. And then God continues his creation. He says, I want to make a little planet called Earth. A little place where there can be life. Where there can be uh, trees and rocks and uh, people. And, uh, and all of these things. And animals. And all the intricacies that God has allowed where life takes place here. And then he continues his creation when he makes us his most beloved creation, his favorite thing that he has made anywhere. One of my favorite passages in the book of Genesis and the very first few chapters is when God looks at everything that he has made. And what does he say? It is very good. God declares that everything he has made is very good. And what this means is that it's, it's not just a great creation is like God patting himself on the back but he is saying that this is things that are filled with goodness filled with him and created without sin that there is life and it is so good I think one uh, way that we can understand this is because if God is outside of time if God made time then he's able to see everything from the very beginning to the very end all in an instant because he is outside of time. And if that's the case, then he is able to see everything. And that includes you. And so when God says he looks at everything that he had made and declares it very good, that's including declaring you very good. Just to let that sink in for a moment. That, that God is able to see you, to know you, created you, and he declares you very good. Because God does not make mistakes. He did not make us to be slaves or make us out of, out of a place of sin, but out of a place of love, a relationship. And then he declares us so good. And he did not make us to be slaves because he does not make mistakes. But then our next question, well, then what in the world happened? What happened? Because now we look around and we see that there is sin. There is death in the world. How did this come to pass? How did this enter into our human experience? Again, we look back to the, the book of Genesis where we see that the evil one found his way into the garden and he is out to steal and to kill and destroy. He know, the evil one knows that he can't get at God because he, he is God and the devil knows that he is a creature. And so who does he go after? God's most beloved creation, human beings, Adam and Eve. And as he do, does so, he tries and, and twists their, their words and twists God's words and tries to get them out of his great envy because the evil one is envious of Adam and Eve, of their closeness to God, of how they're able to be so close to him and, and so beloved by him, even more than the angels. Because they are made in God's image and his likeness. Because of this envy of the evil one and him tricking Adam and Eve and into the, the original sin, we have the powers of sin and death entering into the world. What does this mean? 
Um, I think we can explain it in a couple, two, one each way. For death, we can explain it like this. During my time as a priest in these few short years so far, there have been many times where I've been called to the hospital, many times for those that we love. And uh, going to the hospital, uh, we, we get there and the doctors have done everything they could for the person um, in, in the room at that time. We have done, the, the medical professionals have given them the best care that they could receive. And then they say, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. We give them, and then me as a priest, give them the last rites of the church and prepare their souls to go and leave this life. And then all of us, family, myself included, we stand there with that person and there's nothing that we can do. We stand there helpless and we watch that soul pass from this life. This power of death that has come into our world that God did not make in the beginning becomes our experience. And there is nothing we can do to stop this power of death from taking over. Maybe you've had that tragic, terrible experience of being with someone that you love as they have passed and how heart-wrenching this is. And we remember that God did not intend death to be part of our experience in the beginning. But now, because of the fall, because of sin, death has entered into the world. And we are powerless against it. As well, we have the, the effects and the power of sin. And now, please don't raise your hands. But has there been, ever been a time where you've, you have done something that you didn't want to do? St. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans when he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. That is the power of sin that has come into our lives and affected us. Where we are not able to overcome this power of sin and we know what is good. We know what we should do. But there are times maybe when, when we're not able to follow through on that. When we're not able to always choose and do the thing that we want to do. But we may do the thing that we don't want to do. And so this is the powers of sin and death that we have to experience now in this side of heaven. Because the devil is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is the bad news here. Because we see in Genesis and chapters 3, the account of the fall, that the ways that the devil tries to trick us, and it is always by a lie. The evil one is always trying to lie to us, and it will always lie to us, trying to get our minds to question the love of God. Some examples. First, the lie that God is not actually our Father, that He is not really all that good, that He is holding out on us. The next lie, that He will not be there for us when we really need Him, that we can actually be happy without God. And now the worst lie of all, that God doesn't actually love us. The evil one uses these lies over and over again in our own 
in the ways that uh, he's tried to trick us individually, but to know that all of those are lies, that God is good, and he is trying, the evil one is continually trying to take us away from God, to get us by ourselves and to be alone. I think a good analogy, a good metaphor for this um, experience that we have of the powers of sin and death in our own contemporary time is this. The analogy of human trafficking. That we have been captured by these powers of sin and death and now we are hungry, chained up and alone. And hungry. We're by ourselves and there is nothing we can do to overcome to be free from our captivity. We are by ourselves and we are suffering and on the point of despair wondering if we will ever be free. But then it brings us to our final question today. What does God do about this? How does he respond to this terrible tragedy of these powers of sin and death that have entered into the world? In just a few short weeks, I think it's about two weeks now, we're going to celebrate the great joy of Christmas when God became a little baby boy. Because God chose to enter into this little earth in the vast universe because he says, I want to set you free. I want to set you free from these powers of sin and death so that you don't have to experience them anymore. In the first letter of St. John, he writes that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And in our, our first Sunday of Advent's Gospel in, from Matthew, Jesus says, Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. Who is the thief? Jesus. Who is the strong man? The devil. Jesus breaks into the evil one's house and plunders his treasure. His treasure is all those who have died to bring them back from the dead, to give them the gift of life in heaven. This is what our Lord does when he goes to the cross. Through his passion, his death and re resurrection and ascension into heaven that he takes each of us with him and puts death to death and no longer allows us to, to experience the effects of sin. We don't have to experience this anymore. We, we, we are able to choose what is good because of the grace of Christ. Because of his passion and death and his resurrection from the dead. We as children of God no longer need to experience the effects of sin. We, we still experience it, but it's now no longer, we don't have to be enslaved to it because God has come to set us free to destroy the works of the devil, those lies that don't have to be believed anymore. We can live in the life of grace, in the, in the life of truth. To conclude our analogy, we have been captured for who knows how long. And we, again, are at this point of despair, waiting, wondering, holding out hope that we will be, one day be saved. We hear the door open and we think, here it goes again. But then someone taps us on the shoulder. We turn around. We don't see the face of our captor anymore, but we see the face of Jesus. 
He says, come with me. I have come to set you free. At, at one, at the same moment, our hearts are filled with exhilaration and, and, and awe. Is this actually happening? And at the same time wondering, because we, we know who's outside that door, our captor, the evil one. But Jesus says to us, you have nothing to fear because I have captured the captor. He is no longer able to hurt you. He is bound and chained. And now you may come with me and we may enter into life. We may come to life and I have come to set you free. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does for us. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Because he came to set us free in the beginning of that journey. For our Lord came to earth so that we may have life and life to the full. And so I just encourage each of us, I've been meditating on this so far this Advent, and I challenge all of us to continue reflecting on this story, to be overwhelmed by this story, and knowing what God has come to do, so that he is, because he has come to set you free. So if we are able to meditate on this story these next couple weeks, we will have an incredible Advent and a most blessed Christmas season. Because we want, I want you to remember and us to, to always remember why Jesus is here. For he has come so that you may have life and life to the full.